very thankful to be here this morning. Hi, baby. Listen now, okay? Listen. Thankful to be here. I'm so thankful for the way the beginning of the service has, has gone and has felt in my own spirit because it feels like it's right in line with what's on my heart. I'm thankful that the Lord does that and when He does that. I'll tell you the title of the message, Everything We Need. If you want to turn to Second Peter chapter 1, I always like to remind us of the context. This is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to real people at a real time in history who had real needs that he was addressing based on what God put in his heart. But it still applies to us today. Just after Hebrews, if you're, you're turning there still. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll start in the first verse so we have the context and the, the text is the third verse. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. I'll pause there. And by way of an introduction, I remember learning in school and in, in college, I was an English major, there's certain ways you ought to start a letter. There's a greeting or uh, introduction, I guess. I think we've lost something in our culture that the apostles had in the way they wrote letters. Just in the introduction of Peter, we could preach multiple sermons. Just in his initial hello. <laughs> These days we just say hi, or dear, or something like that. One of the most valuable lessons I learned in college as far as writing, I had a professor who wrote on my paper, there's too much wind-up. He said, you're taking too long to get to your point. Just get to your point. And Peter, well, the reason I'm saying that, it was a powerful lesson for me because I had been taught a system of writing in high school that included a bunch of wind-up, where I just kind of filled it with some fluff in the beginning because I was taught, some of y'all might have been taught this too, you should have an introductory paragraph and have three points and, and then a closing paragraph in a basic uh, letter or, or essay. And he taught me get right to the point. Peter is getting right to the point. He says basically, hello, here's why I'm writing you and here's how great God is. And, and why, there's doctrine just in this introduction. What a beautiful example of how much these brothers' lives were permeated by the power and presence of God. And some religious denominations have called these people saints, like there's something 
high up and special. We can be just like them in terms of closeness to God and sincerity of service and partaking of His presence if we want to, through His grace. I hope we we take that lesson this morning. Let's just look at a few of the things he says before we spend our time on verse 3. In the first verse, he, he points out and recognizes he's a servant and an apostle, a messenger. Apostolos is the, the Greek word. A messenger. Servant. It's like a slave to God. Well, how different would our lives be if we remembered? Not in an abject or negative way, but in a, in a reality-adjusting way. We are servants of the Most High. How different would our lives be if we really grasped my life is not my own to do whatever I want with it. Our culture, even among church people, we train young people to follow their hearts and follow their dreams. And these days they say, follow your truth and speak your truth. That's how self-centered our culture has become, even among religious people. But these apostles and the first people of God recognized they were the servants of Jesus Christ. And therefore the servants of each other. What if we recognize that today? And he says, to them who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He says, I'm writing to people who have obtained a precious gift of salvation. The same thing I have. And that is what unites us. I'm writing to people who have obtained like precious faith. Brothers and sisters, we need in our churches and in our culture more than ever before the unity of the Spirit. We've replaced it with a cheap substitute, which is uniformity, conformity, unity of opinion, which is not the same thing as the unity of the Spirit. Peter, just in his introduction, clearly identifies that God calls, sets apart, and then draws together His people in a way that nothing else can. I long for that, even today. And the way we obtain that, this like precious faith, is only through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture. We're going to talk about that today, but everything we have that's any good at all is through the righteousness of Jesus. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. My wife and I were talking, we've talked about this multiple times, but she said something a while back that has stuck with me, that we have a tendency to try to create circumstances that feel peaceful instead of actually seeking real peace. We feel a lack of peace in our lives, so we want to go somewhere that feels more peaceful. And that's good sometimes, and sometimes we need it, but I want to tell you, The Lord can prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He can give us peace in the middle of the noisiest problems. I've talked to service members, veterans, who were able to sleep with bombs going off, with mortars going over their head. With That's what God can do. It's what exhaustion can also do. But, But these people, they told me about how God sustained them. And this is something, we're in the middle, I've been preaching about, we're in the middle of a battle. Brothers and sisters, we can't forget that. And I don't think we have the right to take off our uniform and go do whatever we want. 
God saved you, you're his soldier. You don't have the right to be AWOL. You don't. You're his servant. I hope some people who maybe haven't been able or haven't wanted to come to church in years will hear this message. You've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. You don't have the right to do whatever you want with your life. And this peace comes, as I said, through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. This isn't just intellectual knowledge. We're in an information-saturated age. We have more information at our disposal than any time in history. Everybody has become a, a Google expert. Any, people don't rely on deep, internal, spiritual, and personal experience like they used to because they can just ask Google and then these days, whether we want them to or not, we have fact checkers telling us what's true all the time. How do they know? Who are they anyway? I'm not going to get off on that, but we should be asking questions like that. How do we know they're right? What gives them any right to tell us what's true? Are we taking time to step back and actually hear the truth of God? Grace and peace, truth, all of it comes through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And This is not just informational knowledge. This is... Personal knowledge. Experience. Do you want peace in your life? Get to know God better. Really. According, third verse, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. I would have read this in a different translation. You just you might grasp more of it. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You believe that? God has given us everything we need. Already. If you've been saved by God's grace, and I'll take a minute and say what I mean by that, because I never know who's listening and what religious terms they know. If you've ever had an experience with the creator of the universe where he changed you, where you went from darkness to light, where you went from not being able to see clearly, and you said, I can see clearly for the first time. If you've ever had an experience where God drew you and showed you that you weren't right and you weren't okay and life wasn't okay and you needed something that was beyond yourself and more and you repented, in other words, you emptied yourself of all self-reliance and gave up and depended on Him. If you've ever had an experience like that where He saved you, where He transformed you, where He changed you, you have everything you need. Oh, this is in my heart today. I don't know how to get it across, but I feel it. I want to say, especially to the young people and especially to those who are at the, near the end of life, you have everything you need. I know in my own life when I was younger, it's still there's a tendency to wait to do certain things because I don't feel prepared enough or qualified enough but if God puts something on your heart, He will equip you because you have everything you need in Jesus. Part of the way this works is it's not just God saved you, boom, it's all over. You have everything you need and you never need anything else from Him. He has given you 
when He saves you, not only the deposit of the Holy Spirit, King James says the earnest of the expectation, that's what that means, the deposit of the Holy Spirit so that you know you have eternal life, not only has He given you the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life, but He has given you Himself so that you have an immediate, um, day-by-day, moment-by-moment access to the one who knows everything and everything you need. It's not just that He saved you and in being saved you got everything you need. It's that He gave you Himself. It's so much more than your personal salvation. I know people who are supposedly saved... And they're wasting their whole lives. Say, we shouldn't say, why, why shouldn't I say something like that? It's terrible. It's heartbreaking. It's unnecessary. We don't have to live that way. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, or God by His divine power has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know Him. I remember, you know, language is the way we process information and it helps us understand truth. And even though the Bible wasn't written in Spanish, when I, when I realized there's a different word in Spanish for knowing intimately and personally versus knowing informationally. When you ask somebody in Spanish, do you know Jesus? Conoces a Jesucristo? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the person? If you ask him about information, it's sabes. Whatever it is. It's it's a different word. We we, we lose some of that in English because we just say no. Do you know Jesus? Do you know what time it is? It's not the same idea. Do you know who won the Super Bowl? Not the same idea. Do you intimately know Jesus? Have you encountered Him in a way that changed you? That is how He gives us everything we need. We've received all this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. I think we forget that sometimes too. Jesus in saving us didn't just make us a religious person. He didn't save us to turn us into a church person. He saved us to call us to Himself. I think if we understand the bride of Christ, if we understand His purpose of the ecclesia, that's the Greek word, the called out, that's where we get the, the, the word, uh, well, we don't get church from that. It was invented. That's a whole other sermon. But we're the called out of God. If we understand the purpose that God has for His congregation will recognize the importance of the Lord's true church. And that that is part of the way we serve Him and come to know Him better. But God in saving us drew us to Himself. Jesus in saving us drew us to Himself. And knowing Him is so much deeper and more meaningful than any mere intellectual religious knowledge. I think that's what sets us apart from many other religious groups. When I say us, I'm not talking about a particular name. And I'm not picking on any other particular name. When I say us, I'm talking about the people of God who've actually experienced Him, surrendered, been saved by His grace, and are led by the Holy Spirit through life. Us, His people. Whatever name is on the door. 
have been given something that the whole world is looking for and they don't even realize it. We have everything we need. I'm going to keep saying it the rest of this message. We have everything we need. You don't have to wait until... I've had, I've had people tell me, uh, I need to clean up my life so I can get back in church. <laughs> no, go to church. Let God help clean you up. Come back to Jesus if you know Him. Let Him help. You don't have to wait until you make yourself better. If you know the Lord or He's drawing you, you have everything you need in Him. And He's called us to Himself or to glory and virtue. God has given us everything we need, all things we need. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's given us everything we need to live. Let me ask you this. This is something that's a recurring theme in my preaching and in my life. Do you actually live like you're alive? Man, I know a bunch of religious people that that go through life. They might as well be dead. They live like some kind of gray zombie. No joy, no passion, no expectation of God's blessing. If the person who wasn't saved interacted with them, they wouldn't want what they have. God, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't just save us so we could go to heaven someday and be miserable on earth in the meantime. He saved us to live right now. Now, I I think we need to avoid excess. And I'm a person, my wife will tell you, who is prone to extremities. I mean, I'm an extreme personality. I'm prone to excess. But I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying the blessings of life. Enjoying a beautiful meal and savoring it and being thankful for it. Enjoying a beautiful sunset. Enjoying the scenery God has made. Being thankful for being in a dry, warm building today on this rainy... There's nothing wrong with any of that. He's given us abundant life. Oh, brothers and sisters, why would we live like we're half dead? Why? I mean, we should be the happiest people alive, not in a fake, phony way. I mean, in a real way. Where no matter what happens in life, people would authentically say, how are you always so happy? You ever been told that? I have, by God's grace. There's people who are a lot better at it than I am. (laughs) And it's not about me or you or us being good at serving the Lord, because... He is everything we need. It's all in Him anyway. He has given us everything we need to live like we're actually alive. Do you want to live godly in this present time? You know, Scripture teaches us that and commands us that. That we, might sh- that we should live godly in this present time. That in this very moment, whatever noise, chaos, confusion is going on in the world, whatever Sodom and Gomorrahs are around us, we're called to live godly right now. God has given us everything we need for that. You really want it? If you do, He's given you everything you need. So, what are the, as King James says, He's given us all things, or as this other translation says, everything we need. What things has He given us? And sometimes I think religious people think we've been given actual things. Processes and procedures and routines and traditions. Listen, Jesus didn't give us any of that stuff. Do, do you think, is what I just said true? 
Jesus didn't give us customs, traditions, habits, and routines. He gave us Himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't just give us religion. He didn't give us the missionary Baptist denomination. He gave us Himself. What we do with it turns into denominational names and rules and procedures and traditions and customs and expectations. God gave us something bigger than all of that. And I'm not saying religious traditions are bad. Don't misunderstand me. But everything we need is in Him. So whether we have a church building, whether we have a church covenant, whether we have a church sign, whether we have permission to assemble in open spaces or we have to go to caves or houses or underground literally, we have everything we need in Jesus. What has He given us? Here's the short answer. He's given us Himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm going to spend the rest of the message trying to preach about. Everything we need is in the Godhead. God the Father. It overwhelms my heart to think about who He is. And what terror I should have of Him except for Jesus Christ. There's a reason pagan religions develop gods like Zeus, who was temperamental and destructive and threw down lightning bolts when, he, when people made him mad. Uh, there's a reason for that. Because there is a God in heaven who is the omnipotent, all-powerful, that's that word, omnipotent Lord of the earth. And all kings of this earth would tremble in his presence. Kings would be like almost a joke compared to the king of glory. How do I know that? Because nations are just dust on a balance, on a scale. In the old days, they used to have a scale to, to make sure that what they were selling was, was authentic, based on weight. And they would sweep the dust off because they didn't want the weight to be inhibited or, or, or skewed by that dust. The person weighing the stuff mindlessly just sweeps the dust. That's what we're like. Not me, not you, not this church, not Hendersonville. America is like dust on a balance compared to God. He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's omniscient. He is all-powerful all-knowing and everywhere at once. We've heard that. But when's the last time we really dwelt on it? When's the last time we sat in amazement that God is right here and He's over there and He's down there and He's way down there and even further, all right now. He has the authority. We talked about authority for several messages. He has the authority and the means and the power and the right to destroy this whole place one day. And he's going to. Part of our job as church people, as God's people, as Christians, is to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. People who don't know the Lord, he's... They, they, 
There's destruction coming. And they need to be afraid of it because this is not just somebody who's going to kill their body. Scripture, Jesus taught us, don't be afraid of him who kills the body, but him who, after he kills the body, can destroy the soul in hell. The torments, the fire of hell. People need to be aware of this. We, we have done a disservice to this world by absorbing a weakened, watered-down, tolerant form of Christianity. I'm not talking about being mean or unkind, but people need to be told the truth. One day, your life will be required of you. You will have to answer to the supreme judge of the universe for every decision you've made, every injustice, every sin, every false action, everything you shouldn't have done. You're going to have to pay for it. And if Jesus hasn't applied His blood to your heart through salvation, you're going to spend eternity paying for it in a place that's worse than words can describe. Our job is to tell people that. They don't know. If we don't tell them and we care too much about how we feel to tell them. I'm talking to myself right now. When's the last time with tears I met a stranger and said, listen, you may be cursing in God's name, but do you know you're going to have to answer to Him one day? Do you know that? Not with meanness, I mean with brokenness. Do you realize your life will be required of you? You can't do whatever you want. God is so powerful. Isaiah described Him as sitting upon... I'll just read it. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. You know what I do to a grasshopper if it bugs me? I might flick it off my shoulder. I might step on it. No big deal. I keep mowing. I keep doing my... We're that small to God. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. How big is the sky? Just our atmosphere. I mean, it's huge. It's expansive. And then the universe or universes, I don't know. How far does that go? I don't know. Some scientists think the universe is actually still expanding. Maybe it is. I'm not smart enough to know that. But God is so big, this analogy Isaiah gives is like he stretches heaven out. Like we would a sheet to cover up something. How big is a God who could take his hands metaphorically and stretch out the heavens? Isaiah 40, 28, he says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's a hope in this that we see for the people of God. But we can't forget that the creator of the ends of the earth never gets tired. And his understanding is unsearchable. He's so big and so mighty that we can never even grasp a glimpse of what he knows. People need to be told that. Why would you serve a God that you made with your own hands? I have a buddy at the local burrito shop. It's owned by a bunch of Indians. And I asked him one day, do you eat this? And he said, no, that's my God. 
chopped up meat that goes in my burrito. How sad. You know what? I've never actually said anything to contradict that to him. Because I don't want to hurt his feelings. I'm his customer. I don't know if it's the right time to say it in line. But we have time after when we're chatting. When he asks for pictures of my little girl, he always wants to see a picture of her. I can tell him about the one true God. How sad. How sad that he thinks one of his gods, not the only one, is something that goes in a burrito. He never faints. He never grows weary, the king of glory. His understanding is unsearchable. And with all of that, he gives power to the weak. I talked about, some of you might think it sounds mean, but, but it's true. And it's not with a mean spirit in my heart. God is scary if you don't know him, if you've not repented. And Jesus hasn't interceded between you and him. All throughout the Old Testament, people trembled in the presence of God. And the very first example we have of that, when the fellowship was broken and sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve hid. They were scared. God said, why are you hiding? Adam said, we're naked. He said, who told you you were naked? You know what sin does, brothers and sisters? This is why it's important that we try to avoid sin. And more importantly than just trying to avoid sin, we keep our eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on Him and serving Him, you'll automatically avoid sin. You keep your eyes on avoiding sin, you'll just become self-righteous. You know why it's so dangerous? It opens our eyes and our hearts and our experience to pain that God doesn't even want us to know about. This is why sin matters, brothers and sisters. This is why church discipline is important. This is why people can't do whatever they want. And be members of the Lord's congregation without it being addressed. This is important. Sin, it destroys people around you. It messes up your life. And it causes pain. It causes an awareness of pain that God doesn't even want you to have. What He wants to do is give power to the weak. And to those who have no might to increase their strength. To the young people to give them strength and the old people give them strength help them run and not be weary help them walk and not faint that's what God wants Job knew something about him too he said he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea what a God now he's bigger than this analogy but as a metaphor he walks on the ocean how beautiful that Jesus actually did that he walked on the sea. You think Isaiah knew that's part of what he was prophesying? I don't know. But he did. He did it. Or Job, I'm sorry, treads on the waves of the sea. I don't know if Job knew that one day Jesus the Messiah would walk out to his disciples on the water. But he actually did it. Proverbs 16.4 The Lord has made all things for himself. Listen to this. The Lord has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret that. God didn't create evil. He didn't make anybody be wicked. He didn't cause sin to enter the world. There's some people who are 
too far in that direction that say God introduced sin in the... No, there's no scriptural support for that. But, we're told in this proverb that even the wicked for the day of evil, in other words, when they're punished, although God desires a different way, a way of forgiveness, a way of restitution, that's what God desires. But He'll still get glory when the wicked are punished. Do you realize that? I've heard people preach, you know, God is too... He wouldn't send anybody to hell. That wouldn't be loving. No, it would be unjust if He didn't do that. I don't have time to explain all of that. But He'll even get glory out of people being punished, though He doesn't desire it. He won't take pleasure in it. But even that will be a glorification to God. Everything that will happen will ultimately glorify Him. There's a lot of bad stuff about God the Father. God the Creator. And and I didn't even get to, to me, the most amazing thing. When He created the universe, He didn't have to use His hands, He just spoke. The Word went out and made everything we see. Wow. But, brothers and sisters, if you've been saved by God's grace, Paul tells us in Romans 8.15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You hear my little girl this service saying, Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad, Dad. You know, we can talk to God that way. That's something like that word Abba means. We don't know exactly what it means, but it means something like Daddy. Something so endearing that in spite of how scary God could be and how powerful He is and how He has the right to destroy everything, including you, even in light of all that, because of Jesus, and I'll get to that, we come to Him and we can say, Daddy. We can come to him and say, Hi, Daddy. Can you help me? And God loves better than I ever could. Any of you who've had children know your little child comes to you and says, Can you help me? You're going to do everything you can to help them. Jesus taught that. He said, If you, being evil, will give good things to your children, how much more are your Father in heaven? The best we could do is just a a glimpse of the goodness of God. As powerful, mighty as God is, we can come to Him and call Him Daddy. And I I could spend more time on that, but I want to move through this so it's not too long. He has given us everything we need. God the Father, God the Son. We'll talk about God the Son Jesus Christ, God the Son, Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Another translation says, He existed before anything else, and He holds all of creation together. I, I don't know what that means. My mind can't comprehend the surpassingness of that. But it's a truth that I have to preach because it, it's true. 
Another way Scripture teaches us, John 1, in the beginning was the Word. You know this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Who? The Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. Life was the light of man. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You go down that chapter a little later, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. God the Son, this is beyond my mind's comprehension, but God the Son existed as God the Word before He was born as Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was born by Mary. Emmanuel, God with us. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. A couple more things in Colossians that I think would be worth reading. We'll take a couple minutes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. I I just, that gives me joy. Beautiful. He's before all things and by Him all things consist. Let's pause it just for a minute. I was taught in school that the earth is suspended in space on an axis and something about gravity holds the solar system together, and, and that might be true. But I read this, and I take it literally. He's before all things, and by Him all things consist. I take this to mean the power of Jesus Christ, the Word, is literally holding the universe together. Maybe He uses gravity to do it. Maybe He uses something that we haven't discovered yet. Maybe He just uses Himself. I don't know. But all things consist by Him and in Him. And He's the head of the body, the church, the ecclesia, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. God has given us everything we need. God the Father, God the Son. Part of us living in a way that we actually receive what we need is to recognize that Jesus is preeminent in Everything. Brothers and sisters, as we try to worship the Lord, Hendersonville Church, as you try to figure out who needs to be your pastor, and that's not an accurate way to say it, you don't need to try to figure it out, you need to try to seek from God who He wants. You know that. But whatever we do, whatever pastor you might call, whatever decisions you might make down the road, whatever we might do in service, whatever testimony, sermon, song, prayer, everything we do should keep Jesus preeminent. When the body starts to have problems is when the arm or the shoulder or the toe starts to think it's the head or the belly starts to think it's the head or the heart starts to think it's the head. No, Jesus Christ is the head and the only one who can be the head of the body. All things he might be preeminent. Jesus in John eight fifty eight said, Truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego a me. This is a Greek construction. You don't have to say both of those. One, one of those words alone says, I am. But Jesus is emphasizing his pre-existingness. 
in the same way God told Moses. When Moses said, when they ask me who sent me, what will I say? And the Lord said, tell them I am sent you. Jesus, in this statement, and the Jews and the religious teachers knew this at the time. This is part of why they hated him. When he made this statement, he was referring back to God the Father saying it to Moses. I am. He's, I'm the same one. Before Abraham was, I am. In Hebrews 1, this is one of my favorite passages about Jesus. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hey, let me pause. Do you realize how, what a, what a time of grace and beautiful opportunity we live in that for thousands of years people lived before Jesus and they had to hear from God primarily through a prophet who was a man and not perfect. In the past he spoke by the prophet, but in these last days he has spoken unto us by his son. What a blessing of, uh, just a blessed time we live in. That we've already heard from Jesus and continue to hear from him through his spirit. He has spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Those, I talked about that earlier, but Jesus is, everything is his. And through Him, through the Word, God made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the Word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What a beautiful picture. Jesus, the Lord of glory, who used His glory, power, majesty, and might to intercede and make a way for us to have peace and life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to get to God? You've got to go through Jesus. Period. I heard a testimony recently from a a Jew, a Jew, a national Jew, I mean, by birth and practice. He heard about Jesus, got under conviction, repented, was saved by God's grace. And in his testimony, he just kept saying, can you believe God saved a Jew? I mean, that's how he was saying it. And then this, this really got me. He said, I wouldn't even say that name. Jesus. Jesus saved him. No man gets to the Father but through Him. He's given us everything we need. God the Father, God the Son. And the last thing, uh, last aspect I want to focus on is the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us, told His disciples in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. First of all, let's pause there. Do we, do we love Jesus? We claim to. If we love Him, keep His commandments. How do we do that? Serve God purely from the heart. All our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said, on these hang all the law and the prophets. Love fulfills the law. That's, we get a craving for love and for trying to serve the Lord. That's how we keep commandments through God's help. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you fatherless, or I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. The same men and women who ran like scared little sheep at the end of Jesus' life, who denied him, who hid, who were hiding for their lives. And I'm not saying any of that critically because I would have been the same way and so would you. I want you to realize how these men changed when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same ones who were hiding in an upper room, once Jesus gave them the promise from the Father, turned the world upside down. The same ones who ran and hid and even cursed to deny Christ were crucified, beheaded, pulled apart, killed in awful ways, fed to wild dogs. I mean, on and on and on. The Holy Spirit gave them power and strength that they did not possess before they had Him. You think about how despairing and sad and weary the disciples must have been when Jesus left. I mean, He has been walking with them. They've been learning from Him every day. He's literally been feeding them from nothing. Sustaining them. Healing them when they need it. Whatever they need, He gives them. And then He says, I'm leaving you. They couldn't see how necessary it was for Him to give them another helper. The Holy Spirit could do and continues to do what Jesus could not do in bodily form. you realize that? God has given us everything we need. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father does what He has predestined Himself to do, and God the Holy Spirit does what He should do, and God the Son does and did what He should do. That's how we have everything we need. Jesus knew, even though His disciples couldn't understand, that this was part of the plan of God for Him to leave, for them to go through that pain and discouragement, and then be given the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Advocate, by whom we have power with the Father. John sixteen twelve. I still have Jesus speaking. I still have many things to say to you. I'm almost finished, so just... Stick with me for a few minutes. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. What a beautiful picture. The Spirit of truth who has come and is living and is active in us and among us, if we know Him, guides us into all truth. Brothers and sisters, especially some of you who are smart and academic, take the weight off. It's not your job to figure out anything important. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And let me tell you something, you're not smart enough. I don't care how smart you are, how high your IQ is, how many Ivy League degrees you might have. You're not smart enough to figure out the things of God. The Holy Spirit must reveal them. That makes me feel better. I don't know about you all. It doesn't insult me. It makes me feel better. I'm glad I don't have to be smart enough to figure God out. How exhausting. How, I know people who try to do that. How exhausting that must be. John 16, 
I think the 23rd verse. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Listen, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And I want to say something. Because of how this is translated, a lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit. They'll say it. That's not appropriate. And, and maybe you've never heard that, and I'm not saying it critically. It, it's not theologically accurate to call God the Holy Spirit it. It doesn't matter what the King James translation says. It's not accurate. He's He. God is He. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. Just like we wouldn't call Jesus it, we wouldn't call God the Father it, we must never call the Holy Spirit it. He. He will guide us into all truth. He is the Spirit of the Father and the Son who is among us and lives in us and works through us. And He is the primary person who gives us everything we need. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. People talk about Jesus. I've heard people say Jesus was at our service today. No, He wasn't. Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting until His enemies become His footstool, interceding for us. That is where Jesus is. And God the Father, while He is omnipresent, is everywhere at once. He's not primarily here. He's primarily in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the one who is here and active and working in us and among us and through us. That's theologically accurate. Say, why does it matter? It matters because it's true. The Holy Spirit, God has um, given the, the job, the task, the purpose of helping us through this life. Jesus sent him to us. If you have him, if you have the Holy Spirit, how do you get the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Sometime in your life, I've mentioned this at the beginning of service. This is how you get the Holy Spirit. Sometime in your life you realize that you don't have everything you need. Sometimes religious people call that being lost. I think the reason we call it that is because of how bad it feels to be really lost, separated, unsure where you're going. And when you end up in that condition and you realize you need something bigger than you and outside of you and God is dealing with your heart and making you uncomfortable and you go to Him and pray and lay it all at His feet, He saves you, that's how you get the Holy Spirit. Now some people don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of saved people don't live like they're saved. They don't live in the power of God. They don't act like anything ever happened to them. But when God saves you, He gives you what you need. Everything you need. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He, God, through the Holy Spirit, the omnipotent Lord of the universe, lives inside of my little tiny being. And through Him I have everything I need. Brothers and sisters, I hope that encourages you this morning. I, it, my heart's been overwhelmed thinking about that. Oh, I don't have to do it myself. I don't have to have the burden, the weight on me. Holy Spirit knows what I need.